it's the voice of the one and only DJ Scream, letting you know that you are now in tune to the Casual Flex, where culture meets sports and casuals are welcome. Now here's your host, Philip Dukes. Yo, welcome to the latest edition of the Casual Flex. I'm your host, Philip Dukes, aka Dukes D Scoop. Check me out on Twitter and Instagram at Dukes D Scoop. Make sure you go and hit that like and subscribe button. So before we get into anything, I want to make sure you guys know that this show has been is being brought to you by the Atlantic brand. You see it? Southside Baby, for sure. The Atlantic Clothing Company, Atlantic brand. For sure, check them out on, Insta- on Instagram. Atlantic, A-T-L-A-N-T-I-K. Not a C, with a K. Uh, make sure you check them out on the ground. Make sure you check them out on Twitter, Instagram, wherever you can find them. And uh, patronize because they've made sure they made a commitment to the casual flex. And we made the same thing to them. So uh, big shout out to my boy Matt Herndon, man. We appreciate it. All right. Before we get into anything else, I also got a big announcement. So um, if you haven't noticed, we bring on a lot of Auburn-centric guests onto the show. And um, so that led to some conversations between myself and my employer for my uh, uh, my writing, uh, Auburn Undercover, uh, under 24-7 Sports. And what we're going to do is we're going to start bringing the casual flex to Auburn Undercover. So it's the first time I've been picked up. Um, really excited about it. So the, the format for the show going forward will look like on Thursdays, uh, Fridays, uh, we haven't... You'll see it this week, either Thursday or Friday, you'll see this show um, dropping on Auburn Undercover. And on Mondays or Tuesdays, you'll see the the more broad show where it's just me talking. But uh, interviews or whatever, we'll, I, we're still working through it. But just so you know, Auburn Undercover and the Casual Flex have uh, combined brands. And it's a beautiful thing. And I want to just thank everybody for supporting, everybody for sharing, everybody for retweeting. And, uh, hey, it is what it is. All right, so big news in the NBA. No football on today. Well, kind of football. We'll get to that in a few. But um, no football on today. Um, the Super Bowl is next week. Today we had a major, major trade in the NBA. Kyrie Irving goes to the Dallas Mavericks. Wow. How do I feel about the trade? Who won the trade? So, the players in the trade, you got Kyrie, uh, Markeith Morris going to Dallas in return for Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. So a lot of people see the names, and I think it's like a first-rounder from 2029 and some second-round picks, but those are the major players in the trade. Who do you think won the trade between the Mavericks and the Nets? In my personal opinion, I think the Nets won. Why, Dukes? Well, one, the Nets have a budding superstar. Well, I may be getting a little bit ahead of myself. They have a really good ball-dominant scorer in Cam Thomas. 6'4", he can handle the ball. Dribble, got a a really nice handle. Put up 44 this weekend, uh, you know, uh, in lieu of Kyrie Kyrie Irving being there. Put up 44. He's, he's the type of guy that you got to find minutes for. And so the Nets said, okay, well, Kyrie, you want to go? We'll find a spot for you because we got to find this guy some minutes. So 
I think that's one of the things that's not being talked about as much is that Cam Thomas is ready to go into that next role. He's ready to ascend. I mean, nobody's putting up 44 points and just going to lay down tomorrow. Like, if you can put up 44 in the NBA game, you're a scorer. And if you can find a type of guy, that type of guy, minutes, you you, you got to do it. So they found him minutes. Um, is he going to be the point guard? We'll see. That that remains to be seen. Um, and then Spencer Dinwiddie, somebody who can handle the ball, a taller guy, he can shoot the ball really well. And on the low, he's averaging 18 points a game right now. Somebody who doesn't have the ball, doesn't have to have the ball to be successful. But if he does have the ball in his hand, he can facilitate. And on the flip side, he plays great defense. Um, a long guy, you can put him at the two, you can put him at the one, and he's a mismatch on the other side of the ball. So I think uh, with that being said, what you get out of Kyrie? Kyrie is going to give you so much but it comes with a, a lot for the NBA game to have quieter guys. When you already have been through the drama where, I mean, for the past four years, it's pretty much been nothing but drama in Brooklyn for all of the drama that Brooklyn has given all of the talking points that Brooklyn has given to the media. You haven't really seen the return on that type of investment. I think they have one playoff win since the big three, which was Harden, uh, Irvin, and Durant got together. So a one playoff series win. So um, I think Kyrie and Luka in Dallas, I'm not sure how that works. I mean, you got two really, really got two guys who are really ball dominant. They have to have the ball in their hands. Uh, uh, Kyrie can play off the ball. He can. Uh, we saw him play with uh, LeBron and uh we also saw Luca play off the ball in EuroLeague before this iteration of Luca. So now it's kind of like it remains to be seen how that's going to work out. What happens when Luca feels like he needs the ball and he has a mismatch and he has to go? What happens when Kyrie has the ball and Luca is the younger guy who has to approach the veteran and say, "Hey, I need the ball." And I'm not saying Kyrie is a bad teammate, but there are a lot more um, I would say kind of variables in that situation than there is with the Spencer Dinwiddie and uh Dorian Finney-Smith Finney going to Brooklyn. So I would say that uh, right offhand when Kevin Durant gets back, I think uh, the fourth-place Nets are in a more dangerous position by adding some scoring at a different spot because you can replace the scoring to Kyrie to a certain extent with Cam Thomas. You can get somebody more effective on the wing and who can go play on a perimeter in uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's familiar with the Nets. And also, you got to think, you got that man coming back. You got Kevin Durant, easy money sniper on the way back. So um, I think as of today, and, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, but I do think that the Nets, as of today, won that trade. Now, what does that mean for Kevin Durant going forward? So I'm getting texts and calls and it's saying, uh, bring Durant to the Hawks or where's Durant going? Take Durant to the Lakers. It's not going to be as easy to get Kevin Durant as it was to get Kyrie Irving. Kevin Durant, even at his age, Kevin Durant, even with his injury history, Kevin Durant, even with his Twitter antics or whatever you want to call them, 
Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant, dog. Like, Kevin Durant is one of those. He's probably the best scorer the league has seen maybe since Michael Jordan. Uh, being seven feet tall with a nice handle, a smooth stroke, somebody who can get fired up and he, he, he can take over a game by himself. So I really feel like the Nets, if they do decide to make a move on Kevin Durant, they're going to go back and get all of the capital that people think they should have got from Kyrie Irving. So uh, that remains to be seen. But as long as Kevin Durant's in Brooklyn, I think that the Nets won the trade. What does that mean for the NBA? It means that you're going to see guys start to stockpile. So right now you got so many 500 middling teams that can make moves. or You got so many teams that are kind of in the hunt, but not in the hunt, but still in the hunt. For example, the Atlanta Hawks. Atlanta Hawks are right now on the outside looking into the playoffs, but you got a guy like Trey Young. You got a guy like uh, DJ Murray. So it's like, hmm, could the Hawks add a piece and really make themselves a contender? Absolutely. And there are a lot of teams that are in that same bucket as the Hawks that feel like they're one player away. So with that being said, when you got all of these teams that feel like they're a player or two away, what it does is it shrinks the pool of available players because everybody wants to hold on to their guys because they feel like they can do it this year. So I think the impact is that you're going to see the price of available stars go up. So you see, you're, you're, you're going to see guys who may be available from this point on Kyrie may be the last discount deal you see. And I'm not, even though I feel like the Nets won the trade for a name like Kyrie Irving, you would expect to see another name on that same level as far as notoriety come back or a more immediate pick than a 2029 first, uh, first round pick. So with that being said, I think that uh, going forward, how does the NBA, my biggest question is, does the NBA really say, you know what, we got to give up everything we can because it's so wide open this year. Nobody is like a, a, a runaway favorite that you feel like you can't beat. Like, does anybody feel like they can't beat the Grizzlies? The Grizzlies seem like the type of team that if you have the right players, they'll implode. And you know what, while we're talking about it, the Grizzlies are acting like, a rap group, dog. Like, they tripping, man. Like, you know, with Dylan. And you know what? No disrespect to Ja. I love what Ja does. Ja is such a a, a, a very excitable player. You know, it comes with a lot. You got the dad right there who's uh, getting into stuff. You got, you know, Ja's athleticism, always trying to dunk on people, people who question his game and, how he plays the game, but you really can't take anything away from him, man. He, he He's a real dog. But with the rest of that team, you know, guys like a Jaron Jackson Jr. who probably would go under the radar if he wasn't on the Grizzlies. He's a, he's a, he's a really, really good basketball player. But now with him being on the Grizzlies, that is kind of pronounced even more uh, who he is and what he is. And there's the microscope of, are the Grizzlies troublemakers. And I don't feel like the Grizzlies are necessarily bad guys, but they do give me that vibe of the underdog that barks even when there's no opposition. 
What do you mean, Dukes? Sometimes you got like a dog or you got like a guy who has a chip on his shoulder. The Grizzlies almost got short man complex. Me being like 5'8", you know, and I'm generous, but me being about 5'8", I've always come into contact with people who felt like that I was being more aggressive than need be based on the fact that maybe somebody thought that because I was shorter than the average guy that I was going to be less of a man. And I think that the Grizzlies have a little bit of that going on right now. Whereas, like, you know what? Y'all don't respect us, so we're going to make y'all feel it. So, like, Dylan Brooks, for example. Man, Dylan Brooks does some of the weirdest stuff. The stuff with Donovan Mitchell. Dog, come on, bro. Like, he wrote – so, the other day, uh, Dylan Brooks and Donovan Mitchell get into a little tussle. And uh, Dylan Dylan Brooks uh, ends up on the ground, and him and uh, Mitchell are kind of, like, intertwined. And he rolls over, and he throws, like, this little flailing fist right into the uh the 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 nether region of uh Donovan Mitchell where no man wants to be hit. And Mitchell goes off and he should have. And it that was kind of the moment where I said, you know what, the, the Grizzlies are doing a lot. If the Grizzlies can reel it in a little bit and focus on basketball, yeah, they'll be that they're the closest thing to a juggernaut in the NBA right now. But as long as they're able to as long as people are able to bait them in technical fouls, people are able to get inside their heads, people are uh, teams are able to just frustrate the Grizzlies, that talent level goes down a little bit because it seems like they lack a little bit of the emotional maturity it takes to win a championship. So until they get that in check, I think you'll see the uh, Grizzlies not really come into their final form. And we could be a year or two off, but the Grizzlies are probably the team that scares me the most as far as becoming that next juggernaut in the NBA because of who they have and where they are. But as long as they don't have that emotional maturity to check some of those times and know if and when to do something, then they'll always kind of be a liability when it comes to my gambling dollars. Because when it comes down to a playoff series, I'm looking at everything. And right now, uh, the Grizzlies scare me a little bit. But let's get into football. Today, no real football, but we got the Pro Bowl. And a lot of people are talking about the Pro Bowl right now and why. The Pro Bowl was probably more exciting than it's ever been, and they did not have pads on. The NFL took a huge gamble in changing the whole Pro Bowl deal. Like, everything that we know about the Pro Bowl was different this weekend. And I would like to say that this was probably the most entertaining Pro Bowl we've seen in years. Why? Because, man, the Pro Bowl was never a real football game. There's something that goes along with football that says the quarterback has to get hit. There's something that goes along with football that says as long as every man on the field is able to be impacted with physical force, it gives you a different sense of urgency when it comes to football. So seeing the way the Pro Bowl has been played where people are taking, a, uh, you know, half a step off and letting up on the gas a little bit, it made the game a little more like play-play. Like it, it, it seemed like a football game, but it wasn't quite flag football. But you could just see that there was something being taken off and in football Whatever it is to us, it's almost like a, a, a lighthearted combat sport. 
we look at it like you would never want like nobody would ever pay to see boxers spar on pay-per-view and that's kind of what like the foot like the pro bowl was but now seeing guys be able to still go full speed and show their talents without hitting each other because there's already a game that's popularizing itself in in, in america uh the seven on seven game uh, flag football is becoming more and more popular. And by being able to see people showcase their talents in that level, on that level, yeah, some of the defensive linemen and the linebackers, you're not going to see those. You're not going to get what you get out of the trenches. But by being able to see the skill positions show out and what we say, offense sales tickets and defense wins championships. So by being able to see the offense show and shine and do what they do, I think it's a really good look for the NFL and kudos to the NFL for making a probably really, really difficult change. A lot of people were boohooing it. Nobody really liked the idea going until they saw it. And now that you see it, it's like, oh, looking forward to that next year. Now, what does the NFL have to fix? You got to fix who's in there. Like, there's no way. And no disrespect to Snoop, man. I love Tyler Huntley, Baltimore Ravens quarterback. I love him. I love his game. I think he'll be a starter one day. I think he has a lot of moxie. I think being a backup to Lamar Jackson in Baltimore is a really heavy job, and he does well doing it. But he shouldn't have been in the Pro Bowl, dog. Not this year. Like he'll, he, He's going to have his time to be in the Pro Bowl, but this is not a Pro Bowl year. You can't put a guy in a Pro Bowl who ain't even started five games. Like That's just not just right. So if the NFL can figure out the personnel portion of it, I think the Pro Bowl is is, is really on its way to becoming one of the prominent events like it was when I was growing up. Like, the Pro Bowl was such an event. Like, seeing who the fastest guy was, the skill challenge, like, the weight of the dunk contest back in the day, all of the type of stuff that came along with the Pro Bowl back in the early 90s, we've seen go away, and the Pro Bowl has become less and less interesting. Even the jerseys used to, like, kind of get you kind of going. But now, like, you know, the Pro Bowl is pretty much an afterthought until today. You're going to see a lot of people talking about the Pro Bowl, and I, I, I'm I'm one of them. I'm, I'm really excited about the Pro Bowl going forward, and kudos to the NFL for making that happen. So, as you know, I talked about early earlier, I will be uh, doing a more Auburn-centric podcast once a week on Auburn Undercover. But let's just talk about the job Hugh Freeze is doing right now. Good gracious. So Walker White, four-star out of Little Rock, Arkansas, commits to Auburn over Clemson and Baylor, and there were at least four crystal balls in for him to go to Clemson. And as the day went on and everybody heard about his commitment, people were saying there is a quiet optimism about Auburn. But Auburn, in recruiting lately, has been burned every time you've gotten excited. Every time someone's gotten excited about something, they've been burned. It's almost it, it started to feel like Auburn can't have nice things. And getting a quarterback of Walker White's caliber this early in the cycle, and to hear him talk, to hear him talking about the guys he's going to recruit, to hear him talk about how he knew he was going to Auburn from the time he stepped on Jordan Hare, oh, Jordan Hare Field, st- stepped into the stadium, stepped onto the field. It's an excited time to be an Auburn fan. Absolutely. What is Auburn getting in Walker White? First of all, athlete. Hellified athlete. If uh if uh Walker White were to play a different position, he could probably play linebacker. 6'4, 220, uh, 
cannon for an arm. Every time he throws the ball, you see those deep balls. When you watch his highlights, you're not seeing anybody waiting on it. He's throwing about the deep ball in stride with a lot of touch, and he's a big, physical, and fast quarterback. The guy is fast. And so a lot of people were making a big deal about, well, he's going to Clemson. Does Auburn even have a chance? And has Auburn been showing love, showing love to a, enough other quarterbacks because they're not getting this guy? You know what this told me? What Walker White committing to Auburn told me over anything is that Hugh Freeze is a closer. Hugh Freeze called his shot, went, stepped behind the three-point line, and drained it all net. This doesn't sound like a commitment that's going to go uh, topsy-turvy. We're going to see a whole lot of the drama. Hugh Freeze got his quarterback. Hugh Freeze did the things that it took to go get his quarterback. He visited him twice. You got to think. There was a guy. You got guys like Aaron Nolan. Hell of a quarterback. Aaron Nolan probably, I don't know who's going to be the better of the two, but Aaron Nolan is a guy. And uh, Aaron Nolan was somebody that Auburn was, was recruiting on the previous staff. And Hugh Freeze had put out feelers about it. But for whatever reason, Hugh Freeze and his staff, Philip Montgomery and Kent Austin, they felt like Walker White was the best guy for their offense. He was the number one quarterback on the board far and away. And if you go back and you look at all of the times where Auburn has had, in the past two years where Auburn has had a number one guy on their board, it almost seemed like a pipe dream. It seemed like, yeah, yeah, they'll recruit him, but they won't get him. To have a guy like Aaron Nolan and knowing that if you miss on this guy, if you miss on Walker White, you're putting yourself in a position to lose out on a guy like Aaron Nolan. And I can't say enough about how good of a quarterback and how good of a young man Aaron Nolan is. And, you know, of course, I may be a little bit biased because he's from where I'm from. And, you know, I understand. I see more of him than the average person does. And he actually got an offer from Alabama. Uh, this past weekend, uh, the same weekend, he got an offer from Bama, and, uh, which is a big deal, especially in my community. But for Hugh Freeze to say, you know what, this is my guy, and I'm going to get him. And to be successful, now all, like, you take away everything from, like, the whole naysaying of does he know what he's doing and why would you not continue to recruit more quarterbacks? He called his shot and hit it. This is a huge deal for Auburn fans. I, I, I you, you can't understate the impact that this can have going forward for Auburn. Now you got your quarterback in the fold. Who else are you going to get? The quarterback is recruiting. The quarterback can't, comes out and rolls off almost like 13 names of guys that he wants to come play with him. And when they see the tape, they're going to say, he's a guy I want to play with. So nothing would do my heart more justice being a guy from the South Side, as you see, or College Park, Georgia, to see the Iron Bowl in two or three years and to see Aaron Nolan versus uh, Walker White. Love to see it. Just because of, you know, my my attachment to where I'm from. But Hugh Freeze, you did your thing on that one, bro. 
Like, golly, man. And it's been it's been a long time since you've seen Auburn get those type of guys. And Walker White will probably be a five-star quarterback by the time it's over with. And uh, for Hugh Freeze to go in, and I think the part of this whole equation is White's mobility and size. He's not he, – he's a really big guy. So if Hugh Freeze wants to run that power – that power read with the quarterback. And uh, you got a guy who can hit the deep ball the way that Walker White can. I think there, there's no, there are no minuses right now. And hindsight is always 20-20. But without revisionist history, just looking at what we have right now and the facts that we have, huge win for the Auburn Tigers. Huge. Um, so the trade deadline is coming up this week for the NBA. And uh, – I just think that the Hawks, who have for the past maybe three years talked about, basically, is John Collins going away. What can we get for John Collins? John Collins is probably having one of his poorest seasons in the NBA for his standards. And uh, the Hawks did introduce a new scorer and uh, – He's been getting clean looks, and he hasn't been knocking down the trade ball, but as, as he has in the past. But should the Hawks trade John Collins? In my, in my honest opinion, if you're not trading John Collins to get somebody who's going to play a more traditional four, a big guy who's going to rebound and play defense and assist Clint Capella, then nah. I would even package John Collins and Clint Capella up to go get a a, a, a real five. And, and and no disrespect to Clint Capella, but he's almost like that rim-running five type. Like, you know, grab the rebounds, weak side blocks, but when it comes down to playing defense against the Joker or playing defense against uh, Carl Anthony Towns or Joel Embiid, he's going to be mismatched on the block. And in the East, you got to have somebody, bam, out of bio. Like, you got to have somebody who can compete with those guys on a consistent basis. And at this point, I don't think they can. So, uh, if, if if I'm the Hawks, if you can't get a guy like that, might as well keep Collins, man. There's no reason to, uh, to go uh, just trade John Collins for potential. You got to have a now guy. You made the trade. You traded the draft picks. You can't go just don't don't go replenish your draft budget. Go get a guy. And uh if you can't do that, you can't go get a guy for John Collins. Then I think you absolutely gotta keep him. So I know we're bouncing around a little bit. We went NBA to football, back to the NBA, but now we're gonna go to back to college football. And uh Kevin Steele is the new defensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Wow. Still, of the Stop Steel campaign of 2021, 2021, one of them, Kevin Steele, who was the defensive coordinator of Miami Hurricanes last year, gave up a ton of points. Miami was real. Like, you know, when they got him, they had a few reservations, and those reservations checked out, and it just it wasn't a fit at Miami. Uh now he's the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Now, Kevin Steele was responsible for some of the greatest defenses in Auburn history, namely the one that held uh, Joe Burrow in the greatest LSU, the, the greatest 
college football offense, in my opinion, of all time. Held them under 25 points, and nobody else did that. So what do I think about Kevin Steele at Alabama? I think Kevin Steele has a lot of toys to play with. And I think that Kevin Steele is going to be able to they, – they basically handed him a Ferrari when it comes to guys. Even if you look at the guys that they got out of Montgomery last year from uh, Carver, Madhouse, James Smith, Quay Russo, those are the type of guys that can come in and play day one give you some quality snaps. So I think Kevin Steele will be a, a force to be reckoned with at Alabama based on his personnel, which leads you into a bigger conversation is – how much does coaching play a role in the success? Or is it the recruiting? Is it the guys you have there? Is it a roster? And I'm a guy that – I'm a Jimmy's and Joe's guy. X's and O's are cool. But for the perfect example, we saw Kevin Steele implement a 3-1-7 defense against LSU. And Georgia tried the exact same defense, not even five, six games later. And LSU had a track meet on them. They ran the 100, the 200, the 400, the 800. They still running right now. <laughs> you feel me? So it's uh, it's really about Jimmy's and Joe's, dog. And uh, so Kevin Steele, uh, he did a great job at Auburn when he was there. Uh, you know, there was a lot of questions about how he handled the, uh, his time there. And was there really a coup and all that type stuff? But. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what Kevin Steele does with his second chance, with another chance in the SEC. Not second, he's been in the SEC multiple times, but being back in the SEC and being, you know, having a chance to go up against Hugh Freeze and that defense, and uh, with with that defense and uh, Hugh Freeze's offense. And I don't know, it's going to be really interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the splash hire that, uh, that uh, Alabama people wanted, but when you think about it, it ain't so much you can do when you already got that type of talent. At some point in time, all you really want to do is just have people in the right position to make plays. And I think Kevin Steele could do that as much as it hurts me to say as an Auburn grad. All right, guys, that's my time for tonight. A little bit under the weather, but I said I was going to come in and thug it out and make sure we have some content. Be ready for the Auburn Undercover Casual Flits uh, collaboration. I'll see you later on this week. And, uh, hey, I'm out. Any vendors that want to sponsor, hit me in the DM for sure. We out.